Yo, what's up? Welcome back to the show. David Scales here, your host of Surf Splendor, um, bringing you an episode of Surf News with Scott Bass today. And we began this recording February 2nd, Tuesday morning, um, the final day of the Vulcan Pipe Pro. We're actually watching it while we're recording. We make reference to it a couple of times. And then comment on who's performing well and who's not and who's going to make it and who's not. And uh, we were wrong. I was wrong a bunch of times. So need to mention that now because now I'm recording this intro after the event has ended. And uh, geez, Bruce Irons made me look stupid and Kelly Slater as well. So there you go. Uh, not to spoil the results. I'm sure you already know. But um, disregard whatever I say throughout this episode from this point on because I could not look into the future like I can now. I was going to just like delete it out, but figured that would not be cool. So anyways, um, there's that. Otherwise, enjoy the show. Find us on social media at Surf Splendor. SurfSplendorPodcast.com is the website. You can find everything that we discuss, the links to the articles, the videos, the photos, all of that there, uh, as well as a archive of all past episodes available for free all right check that out and enjoy the show i'll be back at the end to sign us off we're live did you say we're live we're live hell yeah yeah guy we're live david we know what we need we need some music how do we do this how do we get some music going here it is tuesday it is february 2nd and there's a lot of action going on in the surf world, not the least of which is the Vulcan Pipe Pro, which David and I are watching right now. And um, you can hear it now. Listen to that. Instead of music, let's just get <laughs> Von Blakey's voice at the Vulcan Pipe Pro. <laughs> no, Von Blakey, you're out. I love me some Von. Oh, my God. Here we go. Here's something to start off the show with, all right? why people tune into our podcast get some rad guitar riffs every time okay down the line surf talk radio the uh unofficial band of the show the almond brothers kicking us off there i got a new almond brothers shirt by the way i went online i bought a t-shirt wow true fan it's got that it's got a picture of Dwayne almond and it's got that you know that obama um yeah the Shepherd Fairy, like the coloring, two or three tone. Yeah, what yeah. is that called? That in the graphic world, that's called a um, uh, lineal cut. When you do that thing to the image, it's called a like a okay. filter. Or something. Anyway, okay. it's got the Obama coloring on it, and it's got a picture of Dwayne Allman playing the guitar, and it just says "best" underneath it instead of "hope" or "change" or whatever the Obama campaign <laughs> right, was. Right. That was a Shepherd Fairy is the artist from oh, Obey, right? The yeah, that's, company. Yeah, yeah, the Obey guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Cool. And he ripped off a Associated Press image to use, like a Associated Press photo to use that to do that um, silk silk screen was what it was. And then he got sued by them because it, like, he's done a bunch of stuff that just flies under the radar, like the Obey the Giant campaign yeah. that he launched his company with. It flies under the radar, so nobody ever sues him because they never really see it. But right. that 
took off and Obama's campaign ran with it and then he got sued by the Associated Press or something. Huh, I wonder so, how that worked out. In the end, it worked out fine because then he became super popular and sold a bunch of other work, you know. Right. Um, I could be butchering that story. I don't. I was just watching it from afar, kind of on the sideline. But I get what you're saying. Now, the Allman Brothers ripped off Shepard Fairey's intellectual property to do their own. No, I not the it. Allman Brothers. Just some t-shirt company right, in like exactly. Oshkosh, Wisconsin that I just found online. There's a million of them, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. That's I mean, funny. I'm sure they took the photo from somebody. They probably ripped off the photo. Now I'm wearing a complete fabrication and artistic ripoff. Uh, but anyway. It's the way our world works. Dwayne Allman. Yeah. The best. The best. Um, I loved your alliteration of the word February, by the way. February. You tough. just slipped it in there. like Tough word to say. Tough, but you said it correctly. Thank you, sir. I don't like saying it. I avoid saying it altogether. It's yes, just, sir. The second month of 12 months. Yeah, the Feb. Uh, uh, what do you got for us? This? Quick, quick follow-up from last week. I was corrected uh, multiple times in multiple platforms, Twitter, email, um, comments on the website, and Instagram. About Kiahi Abortiz, I believe is what his name is. The guy that got the insane uh, wave at backdoor. Wave of the winter, potentially. That's what I'm claiming. According to Surfline's um, yeah, like, and the, a nominee, right, for wave of the winter. Surfline's wave of the winter. Totally. And the correction that I got was just that he's not an underground no-name charger. He's actually a two-time kite surfing champion and all-round waterman. A lot of people knew who he was. He's not really that famous in the surf world proper surfboard world but he's super well known in the kite surf world um and so and he's the guy who had that pretty famous instagram clip of him on a kiteboard at jaws just getting ejected and literally like the lip you know a 40 foot thick lip hitting him in the face and and then there's like a clip of him commentating about it it's pretty funny which is which i think happened since we recorded that episode oh no i I thought it was before maybe it did yeah maybe it did but at any rate, Kiahi Abortiz... Well-known guy, just not... David and I had no clue who he was. Under my radar. He's a kite surfer guy. Maui guy, a wind guy, you know, all-around waterman guy, and congrats to him because an insane, obviously a great surfer. Australian, though, originally. Oh, I know yeah. that he's from Maui. But, oh, okay, yeah. Um, but here's what I've realized doing this show is how myopic my focus is on surfing. Like, I've paid tremendous amount of attention to high performance shortboarding for the majority of my life and mainly the top 10 guys in that world um maybe the top 10 like competitive guys and the top 10 free surf guys so maybe there's 20 well it's interesting you know what you bring up and what comes to my mind when you say that is that really who is the most who is the greatest water person you know because you could throw this keahi guy in there and i probably butchered his name sure how do we say his name? Because I'm going to butcher it the whole show. I'm going to say Kiahi. Okay. So Kiahi. So when you think about, I mean, what's been hitting you and I lately in the entire surf world, right? It's just tons of big wave surfing. And then before that, before the El Nino started, we saw all this incredible aerial game leading up to the world title. And so we've really had a stew of just, of incredible performances all over at, at, Nazire. <laughs> Nazare? Nazare, thank you. Nazare in Europe, other parts of Europe, in, you know, Chopu, now in Hawaii, El Nino. We haven't even seen Mavericks yet. We've got Waimea Bay. So we've just got, like, really all sorts of incredible action in the water. We've got this Brad Domkey guy on a freaking right. skimboard. I mean, we've just been thrown everything. Everything's been thrown at us, I should say, right? So my question to you is, 
who is the greatest waterman? Who's the greatest all-around waterman? Is it Kelly Slater? Is it Jamie Mitchell? Is it Albie Lair? Who is the Kai, overall? Kai Lenny. Well, that's who I was going to say. Oh, sorry. No. Stepped on it. No, you didn't. Everyone would agree. I would suggest to you that Kai Lenny is far and away the greatest waterman. Yeah. Now, there could be some other guys in the mix that we're not even thinking of, but when you think about like Molokai to Oahu paddle race, when you think about a guy who can do stand-up paddleboarding, who's an insane kiteboarder, who's an incredible surfer, who's just frothing to and can surf anything all over the place, do aerials, surf 50-foot jaws, who's the guy? He's Albie the, Lair? Kai Lenny? Those, no, I mean, Albie, the list. I don't know of Albie doing anything other than riding a surfboard. Right. You know, I don't yeah. I don't know that he paddles, I don't know that he dives. I mean, I, I think of Does um, Kai Lenny dive? I don't know, but I think of uh Mark Healy when Healy I think would of be that in conversation. There. Healy would be in there, but Healy doesn't kiteboard, but who says you have to do that? We're just saying, look, all around Waterman, like Yeah, well the other thing is Who would you trust when you're like Eddie Icow when the boat's going down and you need somebody to paddle forty miles to safety to get help? You know, do you send Healy? Do you send Kai Lenny? Do you send Billy Kemper? Jamie Mitchell. You send Jamie Mitchell. Jamie, and that's that who the waterman is. The guy, not only the guy you send, but the guy who raises his hand and says, "I'm going to go do this," which is what Eddie Icow did. Yeah. Well, you you picked a very specific scenario, paddling. In that case, I picked Jamie. If you're going to pick, you know, you dropped some family heirloom in the ocean. You need somebody to dive down a hundred yards to grab it. I'm picking Mark Healy in that scenario. You know, like. So I don't know. But the other thing is I'm not the most educated on who's the best waterman. Like I said, I have this very specific focus and I could talk to you about who's going to do the sickest air this next year, (laughs) but we don't want to hear that. (laughs) No, we don't like, but, but I, I, I'm recognizing now that my interests have developed and I need to be more, uh, more aware of who these guys are because as I've gotten older, and my ability to do aerials has waned. Like, I'm more interested. Wait a have you ever done an aerial? I have. No, you haven't. I, okay. Oh, my. He said, you, no, you I'm not just, saying. You waved me off as if, dude, whatever. I, I've, yeah, I don't well, have to prove that to you, I man. don't. And I'm not even trying to do them anymore. But I have over the course of my uh, surfing experience. Well, if but, you've done one aerial, you've done one more than me. I'll tell you that. Really? Uh, maybe. I, I maybe have done one. There was a time when I was trying to do one. Okay. At a certain surf spot during a certain session and somebody I think Alex Gray and some other guy said that I might have maybe gotten a little credit card error, you mm-hmm. know. Or, but anyway. I haven't We digress. We were talking about all around Waterman of which you and I are not. Yeah. So nor aerialists apparently. No. <laughs> but um so at any rate I'm more interested, and I think that there is more of a market for that Waterman thing. Like, you know, there's all those areas that we just talked about are expanding in the world of competition. They're expanding in the world of, like, now there's clothing made for that sort of stuff. Um, and so as there's a market for it, Hurley is sponsoring Kai Lenny, and, and big brands are sponsoring these guys, and it will start to make its way into media, and then we'll start to see it, and we'll start to... I would agree with that. I think it's I I can see brands going, you know what, mainstream America is interested in this all around guy, you yeah. know. And by, oh by the way, Kai Lenny's a pretty damn good ambassador for our brand. Like he's well spoken, he's handsome, he's, he's you know, and he's young. It's and shocking just, how young he's the, really he's like young. Twenty two. Yeah, he's crazy. He's, he's totally mentally young. Yeah, and then 
And Dorian's that way too, right? Yeah. You know, and so it's sort of neat for the brands to get out of the niche of, you know, riding five, nine performance surfboards and breaking into this, hey, man, there's much more to this lifestyle than just this. These guys dive. These guys paddle. These guys take on these challenges in windy conditions. They surf huge, you know, piahi. And so... I guess the question is, is it Kai Lenny? Is Kai Lenny? Because at one point it was Laird. You could definitely We've say it was got to give an honorable mention. We haven't even said Laird's name yet. Well, he, and he might be still that guy, but he's not right now in the water this season paddling P.I. Yeah, but to be honest, I feel like Laird kind of shies away from the crowds in the spotlight. And now that Jaws is blown up and there's helicopters, he's just like, eh, out of here. I'll go surf somewhere else where the waves are still treacherous, but I don't need all the attention and he's probably testing out some new tech while he's doing it yeah no i'm not doubting that he could do it i'm just saying that he's you're right we've got to throw him into the equation is he still in the top five is laird hamilton still in the top five all-around waterman i think the guys i think he's quite frankly too old do you yeah you get to a point where it's like dude you got it you you know like how old is Laird? He hasn't shown Laird's his age. Probably fifty-three years old. But that's only a number, dude. I mean, he hasn't shown his age in terms of slowing down or physical fitness. He seems to be. I mean, probably, we don't know. He hasn't showed up. How do you know he's not on the cliff watching it all go down and just? Uh, I, don't I know, know he's not. But, I don't know, yeah. but I doubt that. Here's another comment I have that I thought about last show, but I didn't really mention when we were talking about board design and big wave surfing. Kai Lenny riding that shorter stand-up paddle at Jaws, that was the most maneuverable surfboard in the lineup as far as I could well, tell. Well, a couple He's of He's ripping on I agree thing. with you that and what actually makes it a viable design in those big waves is the paddle. If you'll see him, he'll use that paddle and it's like another fin. It's a, stabil- it's a stabilizing factor for yeah. him. I watched him numerous times use the paddle, put it in the wave face, which helped him sort of check down the bumps and get through it all. And I think the paddle is the biggest yeah. Is the biggest benefit. You know, I'm not so sure the design is that evolved. I think it's probably too thick in the tail. And I, I mean, I agree with the paddle portion, but the board itself, he's ripping on the thing and he's getting like not I don't know, not as much drive, but a lot more kind of pivot in his turns, I guess is what Which it is. Which is what those boards do, right? Yeah. They're so thick and wide in the tail that they sort of do these fin check turns. Yes. As opposed to a full gouging rail thing, but who's doing full gouging rail? Nobody. Although we've seen guys put their rail underneath the lip and hook it underneath the lip at Piahi recently, and you know there's something to be said for that. So, and certainly these guys that are doing these big, massive bottom turns are bearing their full rail. Kai Lenny's bottom turns do seem to be aided by the paddle, and and are. They're um, not the. It's they're not, not dry. deep drawn in. Yeah. Dry. It's more like off the fin. But it's also probably EPS that stand up paddle. So it's it looks more buoyant and more, um, like it's skimming across the ocean surface. He's not really getting, and you know, it's wider and thicker. So you and can't I don't think get, they're custom made. I think they're boards that are just coming off the boat from from Asia. And you think so, so? They're all one design. I could be wrong. He's certainly worthy of having custom yeah. stand up paddles made stand-up paddle boards made on Maui. But it just they look as if they're, the color scheme is as such that hmm. it's just one of the many that comes off of the boat. Yeah. But, you know, I who don't knows? Know. I'm yeah. sure he has custom stand-up paddle boards made. But um, if he did, you'd think they might be a little bit narrower in the tail. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Kai Lenny, the greatest surfer slash waterman 
The greatest waterman right now, number one. My completely limited expertise on that, I'm going to say sure. Who out? Okay, so if you're listening and we're missing something, tell us who's in the conversation there. Yeah. We know it's Kai. Jamie Mitchell. Jamie Mitchell. I'm going to throw Healy in there. Healy for sure. Yeah. Uh, this Kiahi Abortiz, apparently. He's got to be in the mix, yeah. right? Yeah. And then, well, you know, there's these old school guys like Laird and um, who's the and Robbie Nash. You know, who both of them are older. Robbie Nash is just like legendary kite paddle stand okay. up. Like Nash that's who Kai I think rides his equipment. Oh, okay. Nash stand up paddle boards. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Robbie Nash will go out in forty foot jaws on a kite board and you know really do the do the deal. But he like Laird is probably fifty something. Right. At some point you gotta lay down the kite. Yeah. Um well so we're talking about kind of our myopic focus in surfing and these other guys who are, you know, ripping and setting world records whose names we don't know. Like we mentioned Aaron Gold last week. Um, Kiahi. There is, by the way, I spoke to Aaron Gold on the phone. I was trying to link up with him to do a podcast. It wasn't going to work. He was in transit between Totos and back home. But um, super humble, interesting guy, building his own boards and all that sort of thing. So... Seems like he'll have a lot of opportunity ahead of him based on um, the success of that one wave and on the 15th. Well, but, he's going to win the XXL Big I mean, Wave Award, right? I mean, yeah. It really looks that way. So anyways, these kind of no-name or lesser-known guys. The I don't know if I'm jumping ahead here, but the massive swell last week at Waimea where it was just like maxed out. There was closeouts. What I loved about that day is Kelly Slater and Ross Williams and Mason Ho couldn't even make the paddle out. You know, like the uh, most elite of the elite of guys whose names we know couldn't make the paddle out. They end up watching it from shore and watching na- watching waves of guys who they respect but names we don't know. Like um, Luke – I forget the kid's name. I'll think of it while Shepherdson. I'm talking. Luke Shepardson. Yeah. Paddles out and gets a sick one. And, and Apparently Peter, he owned the day out yeah. there. And and I think he's like 21 years old. And Peter King, who's doing his tour notes thing, is filming Kelly commentate on Luke Shepardson, get a sick wave and how rad that wave is. And now they got to buy him a plate lunch because he made the paddle out and they couldn't. You know, like those are the stories that I love and they make me realize, man, I need to expand my focus and keep tabs on who these guys are. Well, interesting day. I mean, how many times in the past 10 years has Waimea closed out? Let's say in 10 years it's closed out, let's say, five times. I don't even know. Maybe right? one set a day that closes out. So so check this out. So that Wednesday, last Wednesday, I pull up the Waimea cam. As soon as I pull it up, massive closeout set comes through. It was the most random thing that I happened to be logged on to a Surfline's cam when a huge closeout set rolled through. And So the question immediately went to my mind, and you and I, God, we talk about this ad nauseum. How come the Eddie Icow event, the Quicksilver in memory of Eddie Icow, did not run on Wednesday? So when you pulled that cam up, it was in the morning, I assume. No, it was – well, yeah, pro- it was probably you know 1 o'clock here, so what, 11 o'clock or 10 o'clock in the morning there. Okay, got it. Um, the bay is closing out. Kelly Slater couldn't make it out, right? Um, this was an incredibly well, – what was a remarkable – I mean, people were remarking on this swell. Yeah, and not most notably Ross Williams and Kelly Slater yeah. remarking on it. Everyone remarking on it on Instagram, whatever. So Quicksilver put out a statement, and you probably saw it on Surfline. It went something like this: saw it everywhere. Let's set the they story put it on their own Instagram account. Right. 
Let's and this is a quote from them. Yeah. Let's set the story straight. The team here at Quicksilver want the Eddie to run more than anyone. However, we also want it to be a fair event, contested in conditions Eddie Icao himself would have approved of. For this prestigious event to get the green light, the event criteria must be met. The waves must, and they capitalize this, be in 20-foot-plus range for an entire contestable eight-hour period. That means from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m., Waimea Bay must be bigger than 20 foot. The judging format for the Eddie is different to every other event in the world. The surfer waves in the first heat are judged against against the surfer's waves in the last heat. Therefore, if we ran the event yesterday where the waves didn't peak until the afternoon, the first three heats would have been surfed in smaller, lesser, unfair conditions. End of their Quicksilver quote. Well, okay, that's bullshit. Total bull. That's complete bullshit. And the, the swell everybody always, online commented and said bullshit. The swell always peaks at a given time. Exactly. And you can't, it's not going to be an eight-hour peak. No Eddie ever. event has ever had the same waves throughout the day. No. That's just the way it is. And usually, it's bigger in the morning and gets worse for the final, which is wrong in and of itself. Not the final, but because they're all judged against each other, right? So, um, like I said, people on Surfline and around the internet immediately chimed in. Hey, first of all, all you got to do is watch the rewind of the Surfline cam, and you'll see 20-foot sets early in the morning. Yep, there, It was easily 20-foot. I actually watched the, the cam rewind from the next day. And in the morning, there was close to closeout sets coming in still on a day that, you know, was half of what it was the day before. Yeah. Um, of course, so their quote, Quicksilver's statement, their press release, whatever, it didn't go over well. Now, George Downing has always been the guy that makes the call for the Quicksilver, Eddie Icao, right? Health-wise, George Downing I don't think is doing very well. He's sort of out of the picture, and I'm assuming that. But that's the feeling you get. You don't hear from him in any of the press. You don't see him. I don't even think he's on the payroll anymore. So Quick Quicksilver, what they don't have anymore is they don't have this Hawaiian patriarch, right, to mm-hmm. lean on. They need this. They need a figure like George Downing to sort of control the event, to be the guy that they can all point to and go, look, George says that the bay calls the day and George is saying no well they don't have that right we got this statement from we don't even know who somebody in the Quicksilver marketing department who I'm not even sure knows how to swim let alone surf yeah so what they really need is a Hawaiian patriarch and so my question to you David is who is that guy who is the Hawaiian patriarch that Quicksilver would be extremely smart to identify and go this is our new guy this is the guy that's taking George's place he's the guy that's going to help us restore credibility to the Eddie event um that's who, a great question you've obviously thought about this who's yeah. i i need a minute okay, to think well, about it who well there's think? one guy there's really uh, one guy i mean if you make a short list of Hawaiian type guys yeah right? there's one guy that that sort of stands out like he's the guy and that guy is brian kaolana okay brian kaolana is res- respected throughout the islands he's he's sort of i you know in a way he's sort of the father of water safety you know he's been a lifeguard forever he knew eddie Icao. of course he's the son of buffalo kaolana from makaha of makaha uh, makaha area brian is the guy that everyone would go yeah Brian's the new George Downing. So Quicksilver would be super smart to get Brian Kaolana on their payroll and basically go, you are our figurehead. You're the guy we point to. Anything 
Eddie Icao, anything the Quicksilver in memory of Eddie Icao runs through you. And that's what needs to happen for them to sort of regain their credibility because yeah. they certainly have lost it. Well, that statement that they released was an attempt to quell the public's, you know, questions and concerns. It did the exact opposite. It almost proved to me that you guys aren't going to run because this criteria that you set out, we've already ticked all of these boxes to a greater degree than we have in other years when you have run. So you you obviously have no intention of running. And of course, the elephant in the room here is that Quicksilver was in bankruptcy, right? Just last week, yeah. they came out of bankruptcy. The bankruptcy court in Delaware said, you know what? We approve your bankruptcy, what you want to do. And now this new group, I think it's Oak Tree Capital. They now basically own Quicksilver and they own Billabong too. 90, 90% of Quicksilver. Yeah, and they're they're involved in the the Billabong restructuring as well. So it's understandable, right, that look, we're not gonna run the eddy, but everybody just know everyone everyone knows, look, you're you're in bankruptcy, you can't run the eddy. Right. And there was some rumor that the WSL was running around uh Surf Expo trying to get brands to to get on board and to help pay for it so that they could run it. I don't know. If, Does if those, the w, WSL have anything to do with the Eddie? I don't know. I, I'm not sure. Yeah, you know? know is either. it part of their big wave world tour? I don't think so. I don't so. think it is. No, I think it's, it's just it's a, a standalone deal. And again, totally. that was just a rumor, a parking lot rumor, which, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. which you and I report, but we can't validate. No. And this is a podcast. Mm-hmm. We're not journalists. That gives us, <laughs> that gives us like no obligation to any of the red tape. And- but it also gives us an obligation to say, hey, look, you know what? It's probably bullshit. Because we're just you and I sitting here rapping out, having fun with talk and surf, and you know you can't take too much of what we say. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you, you know? for giving us a free pass, Scott. Yes, I appreciate thank, it. yeah. But so if the bankruptcy is the elephant in the room. They're now out of bankruptcy. The wise, wise thing for them to do, if in fact they want the Quicksilver in memory of Eddie to be sort of a flagship, of sort of a foundational piece of their marketing, which I think they would be they would want to do absolutely they need to get a hold of brian kailan and go you're our guy i like that plan totally i hadn't really thought of that angle but you're 100 percent correct they do need a figurehead to they need a a chef in the kitchen there's no chef right now essentially and even that george downing info that you gave it's like oh yeah i remember george downing's involved with that but i forgot you know, I, 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 well, he I kind of did. He hasn't yeah, been. Exactly. In, he used to be in all the press releases. He would exactly. be like, you know, and George would say, not today because of this, or we're looking at the swell. It looks like it could be good, but. But they haven't even made reference to him. No. Like no, in he, that statement fr- that they put out on Instagram, they didn't mention his name. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's, so, he's out of the picture. And so he's out sadly, of the picture. Sadly, you know, I mean, he's lived a full life, but I think he's, you know, things are, you know, he's an older gentleman. And, yeah, no. But so, you know, Brian's it. the guy, but then I guess it sort of comes back to. Are there others that could be on the short list that we're not thinking about? Quite frankly, Brian just sticks out as sure. like a no-brainer. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like totally. He's taught all these guys water safety. He was the first guy in a jet ski to go in and save a guy you know, that was stuck in a hole on the west side. And they realized, hey, you know what? This jet ski thing works. Yeah. And this was before they even had the really killer. This was in you know, 90 or 88. Mm-hmm. You know, Early on, they used a jet ski to save a guy. So anyway, Brian, you know, then there's other guys like... Brock Little, who sadly we know has cancer, like but like Brock would be a name that you might throw out there, a guy who has history with the event and stuff. Yeah. yeah, but that's actually another story. Totally, we'll get to that. So let's do a quick detour onto Quicksilver because you mentioned their bankruptcy. Um, this all just went down last week. It was on 
smh.com, an Australian website. That's the Sydney Morning Herald. Yeah. The chat, so they fired, filed Chapter 11, which we discussed in this show previously. Um, but the bankruptcy court has allowed them to eliminate $600 million worth of debt, which $1,000 of that is mine because I, <laughs> I, I own $1,000 of shares. Of I remember when you were buying that, you're like, yeah, why not? What could go wrong? <laughs> um, <laughs> like, Dude, it's so cheap. I'm getting it for 50 cents. It's going to go to a buck 50. I'll sell it and triple my money, cover my taxes. Which Billabong did, by the way. Billabong was trading at 50 cents and now it's up or it went oh, up to 150. God. But Billabong. anyway. Um, so they had $900 million in debt, which is almost a billion dollars, by the way. <laughs> billion with an M. Just kidding. Uh, so they're down to $300 million, But basically, Oak Tree now owns more than 90% of the company. Quicksilver is closing underperforming stores in North America, winding up or renegotiating contracts with athletes and licensees, restructuring its supply chain, rebuilding relationships with suppliers, and reducing the number of products by more than 20%. Um, comment, renegotiating contracts with athletes. They've eliminated all their A-list athletes, obviously. Not eliminated, but like Kelly and Dane opted not to renew. Craig Anderson opted not to renew. Um, the guys that they keep, they've got Jeremy Flores. They've got Wiggly Dantes. They've got Eretz Aramburu. Um, Balaram stack? No, Balaram's on Volcom. Oh. He left a year or two ago. Um, okay, all of those guys. I, I know. I would just get rid of all of them. Well, I have a feeling it's just like they probably gave them low ball, or they were already the low paid guys on the totem pole. Well, that's the way you do it, right? You either have a lot of guys that are all low ball guys, and you're just barely paying them, like you're paying them like a grand a month and giving them a lot of product or something like that, yeah. right? But you're not getting a lot of ROI except your logos out there and all of these events on their boards, right? Yeah, which is what it is, and, and that's not bad, but. If, if you want an athlete to drive sales like the way Jordan Spieth drives sales for Under Armour or Ricky Fowler does for Puma, you need to – first of all, we're not sure that that model even works in the surf space. I don't it, think it does. And it hasn't for the last few years apparently. I mean, I think John John – we always talk about this. There's like two guys that move product. Yeah. John John and Alana Blanchard. And, and, I, <laughs> and, and I think Bethany Hamilton moves product quite frankly. Yeah, but here's the thing. Again, talking about our myopic focus, you and I... I know. We're so southern. We, we are. So it's like, I think Jeremy Flores is moving a ton of product in, in France. Yeah, he might. And in Europe. And yeah. so and Wiggly Dantes in Brazil. So what Quicksilver, another portion of what they're doing, according to SMH.com, is um, they plan to roll out a new retail format called Board Riders after successful testing the con- successfully testing the concept with a handful of stores in Australia, Japan, Europe, and Russia. Board Riders stores are around 750 square meters, three times the size of an average store, but they have barber shops, live music, as well as hard goods such as surfboards, skateboards, and snowboards, as well as Quicksilver's full range of apparel and footwear brands. So that concept has had success in areas that those surfers are from and had success in. So it's like Eretz and and Flores are probably selling a ton of product in Europe. Those guys are icons in Europe. Tiago Perez in Portugal, who's still on the team that we haven't discussed yet. So these concept stores are doing well there. Those guys are moving product there. They're going to apply that concept here. Will they bring in? It's it's funny. You know, Southern California, is a, California in general is a weird place. It's a weird market. It, it's fascinating because, quote, unquote, the industry, surf industry is from here. 
But I can see how those stores would do great in Europe. They're not as jaded. For whatever reason, California is sort of jaded and salty, and it's almost like we don't care. Even And I mean, when I say we, I mean the consumers. Mm-hmm. But I think on the East Coast of the United States, I think in Europe, I think in, even in Australia, all these other places, Japan, they eat that crap up. Mm-hmm. They're like, cool, I'm going to board riders so I can be a part of my people, my mm-hmm. tribe. This is who I am. This is how I identify. Whereas here, we're like, I'd rather wear an Almond Brothers t-shirt than a, than anything that says surf on it because I just don't. I'm kind of repelled by it. I'm, I'm repelled. I yeah. am repelled. There's a little bit of vomit in my mouth right yeah. now. So, um so I think that you and I are skewed. We don't we don't see the big picture on and and I think it makes sense for Quicksilver to have these these sort of concept stores in these places and I think it probably does well according to your what you just read. They're doing well with it. Yeah, but you and I aren't who they're selling product to anyways. That's what it all comes down to is they're selling product to kids who want to be a part of the surf culture who aren't paddling out at 6 a.m. Right, but if we look at it's like a bigger market, a fifteen-year-old kid in Southern California that's down at the beach, just a quarter mile from here, right now, and and we say to ourselves, look, with Instagram, with social media, the world's a much smaller place. They're not as jaded just because they're regionally in Southern California. In other words, that fifteen-year-old kid just down the street, he's looking at Instagram and he's going, Clay Marzo, I love that guy, or he's going, yeah. Craig Anderson, I love that guy, or he, so it's it's. Are those guys moving product though? Are they, uh, you know, are is that fifteen year old kid going and buying Quicksilver stuff or or Hurley stuff based on Tiago Perez? No, not based off Tiago, but the kid in Portugal is. Yeah, that's the thing. And those are emerging markets. You know what I mean? And you're in my market. It's evolved to where you and I aren't buying product, but the fifteen year old kid whose mom is paying for the product. Those are the kids. Well, yeah, you and I are, are totally out of the demographic anyway. But but then there's my 15 year old son, his buddies. Yeah, and we always talk about this ad nauseum again. Yeah. But, hey, but, but you said you've told me in the past your son's maybe buying Brixton or some some lesser my, brand. My like dogs that. are going off. Scott, <laughs> by the way, we're recording this episode at Scott's um, surfboard warehouse is what I like to call it. Um, you're talking about your son would like to buy brands like Brixton or some lesser, you know, smaller upcoming brand that appeals to the core more. There's also new retailers like Mollusk, who seems to be catering to that market and has done a really good job with it, um, where they're making it. It still has that hangout feel. Are you familiar with Mollusk? Oh, yeah. Up yeah. in San Francisco. I think they've got one in Venice, maybe yeah. Silver Lake. Yeah. So... They've got a very core feel, yeah. but they're actually doing it on a fairly large scale, yeah. and it's not insincere. I think that they've just done a great job of creating this community store in a lot of different communities. Yeah, and it's, and it's a different vibe, like, isn't it? It's more art. It's more creative. Yeah. It's more... It's just... It's craftsman, artisanal, like, yeah. low production, Yeah. except, like I said... They're doing it on a large volume now. Yeah. And it's not faked, but it, you know, it's... It's a little lumber sexual, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Is that a term? Yeah. That's Hilarious. that look when you got a yeah, beard I know. and you drive a Prius and you... Almost like you. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> You're very close to being lumber sexual. I'm not wearing a flannel. Can you change your tire? Yeah, but I'll call AAA first. Okay, so see, but you sure. look with a flannel and, the you know, the boots and the lumberjack look, you should be able to... Fix a tire. You should be able to, you know, sail a boat. You know, you should be able to do. You should be able to do these. You should have tools in your car. 
You know, and if you've got that lumber sexual look and you reach for the AAA card, you fit the... That's an official lumber sexual. <laughs> yeah. That's not lumberjack. No, no, That's no. That's lumber sexual. Yeah, it's a take on metro sexual. No, I get it yeah. completely. As I sip my coffee with my... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, first if of all... If your coffee has, like, a side of artisanal marshmallows, <laughs> then you're lumber sexual. <laughs> I drink my coffee black, which is probably somewhat your beard lumber. is getting close to you i you shave, drive a prius you've i shave, got a beard i shave once a week and so that day is tomorrow i don't go full beard do you I go just, to malls to get your beard trimmed or do you just no, do it no i just do it myself right. dollar shave club baby anyway those stores are, are great and they, they're sort of a different concept though than these quicksilver uh, yeah. board rider stores but it's been interesting to keep tabs on quicksilver along the way so that's the latest update i um, even heard a stupid rumor that billabong and quicksilver are going to join forces and become you know, you know why I think Bill that's just. You know, why I think it's just a rumor. Is what well, is a rumor? It's not. I mean, that's complete fallacy. That would never happen. What they will share is distribution stuff. Yeah, a lot of that stuff. A lot of the inner under the you know I under mean, the streets of Disneyland stuff they'll be sharing. As far as I'm concerned, that just comes from the fact that Oak Tree is involved. In Oak both. Tree Financial is involved in both right. companies, and so people speculate like, oh, they're gonna right. It'll never happen. Yeah, no, no. But they will probably streamline some of their yeah. Distribution and of course Salesforce and all that. No, it's like look, Budweiser owns ninety percent of the beer skews when you go over to the beer aisle in the grocery right. store, and right. that's beneficial to them. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like rather than competing with other brands, they just buy up the brands and keep that skew on the shelf. And yeah. so, but they streamline the um, distribution and everything that you're saying. So those are my comments on Quicksilver. I got one other business related topic. Uh, Kelly Slater doing electric commercials during this Vulcan Pipe Pro. Have you noticed that? I didn't see that. No. I, I've commented probably a year ago that I've never seen Kelly Slater wear sunglasses in my life, which I just thought was an interesting That's thing. That's a good point. Uh, and now all of a sudden in the past year, he's wearing sunglasses. And I know, I think that his company um, that he's involved with for, what's the name of the company? Uh, Caring? The yeah, Caring Group? Caring Group, yeah. That is involved with um, Outer Known. They're representing Outer Known or helping distribute whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, also owns Volcom or is Volcom involved, owns Electric, right? Is or involved some, with that. Yeah, yeah they're, then there's they're the Volcom Electric connection. Yeah. So I think that's Kelly's thing is like Kelly is being kind of an ambassador for these brands, maybe unofficial ambassador, but yeah. it was weird to see him in an actual electric commercial during the Volcom Pipe Pro. I was like, whoa. The guy's all of a sudden in not only wearing sunglasses, but now hawking sunglasses. It, and the trunks he's wearing, are those outer known trunks? No, I've, are seen, those him wearing, Volcom? I've seen him wearing Volcom trunks. Right. That's Montech. interesting to me. Like, if I was the outer known marketing guy, I'd yeah. be like, dude, what are you doing? Like, do we sell board shorts? Yes or no? If the answer is yes, why aren't you wearing them? Right. And not even that putting outer my, known stickers on his board. That blows me away. Yeah. Because you know, how, how does he explain that away? Oh, well, this is performance. Well, so you're telling me I'm buying $145 non-performance board shorts? Right. How co- I'd rather buy the $60 performance ones from Volcom. Call it out, Bassy. Well, I just I don't get it. I don't get it either. I feel like with his boards and all of it, it's like it's all in the testing stage still, and so he's not going to take it out in life-threatening condi- conditions until the tests are all sorted out. But you're right. Outer known board shorts are on the market, and they are being sold for 120 and bucks. And he's not wearing them in and this context. And he's not wearing. Well, I've seen him wearing Volcom shorts. I don't know that he's not wearing them at all. I've seen him wearing Volcom shorts. Hmm. So uh, that's a good question. Um, a couple of other thoughts on the Volcom Pipe Pro. 
the reason I saw that or when I saw that commercial, it was during it was in between heats, but they also put an inset of the live footage while they're running the commercial, which I love, and that's something that the WSL should definitely institute. Rather than in between heats cutting away to commercial and we're not getting the live feed, and then they come back and try to give you a recap of what happened during the uh, during the commercial, that was always problematic for me. Now they have the inset of the live feed, I agree. which I, saw I think that. is a huge it's so, uh, it's so good. benefit and for you the know, viewer. I, you know who I credit for that? And I don't even know if this is true, but Richard Wolcott really has his fingers on everything that happens here. He's still core. He's totally core. He yeah. gets it. He's like, and he looks at it like we do from a user end user experience. And he's like, you know what? As lame as when we cut to commercial and I don't, I can't see the contest. Exactly. He's back at his home watching it. You know, when he's not actually in the booth, he's probably at oh, the Fulton House. The only value of this is the live feed. Otherwise, we'll watch a prepackaged thing later. Yeah. So give us the live feed. That's all we care about. I, I don't know that it's Richard Wolcott, but I'm pretty confident. That I, I know him well enough to know that he's, he's like you said, he's core. He gets it. And he's like, you know what, you guys, we got to change this. I can't have us going to commercial when there's live action going down. And the sponsors are probably thinking, no, we're paying for this space. We want 100% of this space. And he's going, look, we'll have more viewers if we're giving the viewers what they want. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to turn the audio down from the live feed so you get the audio 100%. But I agree. And by the way, the ratio of the commercial versus the inset, it's mostly commercial. Like the commercial screen is larger than the inset of the live footage. So the it's ma- mostly commercial. And, you know, because this is a QS3000 or whatever, what we'll just call the WQS, um, you know, it's it obviously has a feel like the old WCT before the WSL got involved. This looks like the Volcom, you know, like you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's got Volcom written all over it. There's not a whole lot of WSL. It's right. it's wrapped in Volcom. And Richard's a smart guy. He's like, I've got the best event during the best time period, and I have complete control. And Volcom is just all over this thing. Yeah, and and it's sort of against what I thought Paul Speaker and those guys wanted to do. Yeah, Volcom commentators. Yeah, their own, their own team. I mean, it's this is very much like 2011. Mm. You know what I mean? Not, do you like it? I don't not like it. I like I, it. Yeah, I don't. I, it, didn't, yeah. it doesn't rub me the wrong way at all. Although right. some of the commentators, you know, but look, WSL has commentating issues as well. Yeah. I will say that Richard Wolcott's one of the better commentators. I've agreed. said it before. Yeah, agreed. But the thing about Wolcott is that he's all about the action in the water. Like they can be talking BS about. Whatever it is, electric mm-hmm. sunglasses or whatever, you know, just talking about whales jumping or whatever. If he sees something happening, he focuses the rest of the commentating booth on the action in the water. He's like, hey, you guys, we've got some action coming. There's a set coming. He always keeps it focused on what's happening in the water instead yeah. of like, you know, riffing about what you had for lunch or whatever. And uh, I just get that he is an, he's really focused on the end user experience. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big fan. And, just for the record, they do have Joe Turpel in the booth, who is a WSL commentator. Um, but then they've got a couple new guys, too. They've got Ronnie Blakey's brother, Vaughn, who's editor at Surfing Life. And then Sal Masakela's back for the first time in a long time. Chris Cote's gone. I know that he was doing this event in the past, so I'm not sure about that. Um, do you want to talk about the event? They've only run, I think, two days so far. Maybe, yeah, two days. Well, they're in round three right frankly, now. Frankly, you know, yesterday was the beginning of round three and it was all time best ever i was t- 
talking to somebody last night about it, and I was like, if there was ever a time that I could go out and surf pipeline, the type of conditions, you know, yeah. it was yesterday, where it was not a drop of water out of place, just all time incredible. Just, it, it, I won't say it was easy, but it looked like if I ever had the balls to go do it, that would be the type of conditions that I would do it in with. Only three other guys in the water and full nobody, water patrol. Nobody out. <laughs> yeah, full exactly. water patrol and like. So when you wipe out, they're there. Yeah, I need people there. Yeah, I'm going to need lunch. I'm going to need a lot of things. <laughs> I'm going to need like Tom Carroll there to get me fired up. I'm going to need him to go, mate. Let's go. We got this. In fact, I would want to do it with Tom Carroll when he's frothing really hard. Just Borrow to get his me, helmet just to get me fired up to get out there. But you totally. know, what? it was just so good yesterday. And the funny thing about uh, yesterday, well, not funny, but interesting characteristic of the swell it was all really good laughs it was old school pipe all these great laughs and the one ride that stood out was zeke lau's backdoor 10 that he got you know so interesting it only takes one sneaker north bomb to come in at the back door to almost steal the thunder from from all day long killer spitting laughs yeah no i agree uh it's funny how many times in the past month or two we've said this was the best day of competition we've ever seen. Like round four at the Pipe Masters, then the Piahi Challenge, and then like there, and now again. But it is. I mean, it is. Like it keeps the bar keeps setting. It's pretty, the standard keeps getting pushed higher and higher and higher. Yeah, it's the best time to be a surf fan. It's pretty darn good. It's pretty darn good to have it's, four guys in the water yeah. at this event. It's, it's not hyperbole. It's just like it's it an, was crazy, and you could tell the stoke on the guys. I remember. Um, Corey Arambidi had a heat yesterday where he, within t- 10 seconds of his heat starting, he was standing in the most, you know, the thickest, spittingest, yeah. deepest, meanest. And you could tell he was, they were all just sincerely stoked to be able to surf it with four guys. Totally. A lot of waves. I mean, guys were getting insane barrels and getting like threes. threes. Yeah. yeah. Because, because guys were arching, arching in the tube, but I because know. they weren't deep enough, they were getting threes. You know, right. it was epic. Yeah, it really is. Mason Ho just won his heat, by the way, in round three. And guys um, that stood out, you know, Chris Ward stood out. Um, uh, who else? John, stood? John Florence. John, well, pair of for, nines. well, I wanted to say there was a guys that stood out like Chris Ward and Zeke Lau and Kelly Slater. No, Kelly didn't. Well, point is, is that, all of them were schooled by John John. When yep. John John went out in his heat and did what he did out there, you just went, you know what? There's all those guys, and then there's John John Florence, and he truly looks on a totally different level than the rest of the guys. Toying with it. Toying. It's crazy. The the under-the-lip drop that he made in that heat yesterday afternoon was just mind-blowing. I know. It's insane. One other guy who I will say... He's not he's not John John level, but it was super impressive. Koa Smith. Yeah. The goofy foot Koa yeah. Smith. Yep. He's made it through all of his heats with a pair of nines. Yeah, he's not John John level. He's not John John level, but it's impressive. He'll be like, John he, John level. He should be in the final. When I see him go back door and do something insane back door on his backhand. Yeah. But uh yeah. John John's just just through the roof mental. No question about it. Which just, love me some John John. Yeah. And I mean and it shows. I mean, you look at the results. I think he's won four of the last six, and the other two guys were Jamie O'Brien and Kelly Slater. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Totally. And Jamie's right there, but 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 I I just think John John's above everybody, and it, yeah. Jamie's pretty damn close. But Jamie's getting older; he's a little bigger, and I think his size sometimes hinders him. I mean, he makes the waves look smaller. Ja- Jamie's a big guy. Jamie would be unbelievable. I mean, like. We'd be talking about Jamie all day long if John John hadn't come along. I know. It's like 
it's yeah he's he's incredibly impressive just gets well I, I hope that it all holds up because you know bruce irons look good mm. <laughs> I don't know about that. Bruce Irons got one good wave in the dying minute of his heat that made him look good. Yeah. I'm still not All right. on board with Brucey. I'm not either, for the record. Yeah, I mean. I am not. Didn't I lose 100 bucks? You lost 100 bucks on I lost 100 bucks to David Scales because of Bruce Irons at the Pipe Masters. Yeah, and. and he's uh, laughing right now. He's like, ah, sucker. Reiterate, love me. I, I love Bruce in the past. You know, I'm, I'm a huge Bruce fan in general, but he has um, failed to deliver one too many times and that most recent time was this billabong pipe masters in december um and i will say his free surf stuff looks better than it's looked in recent years but it's still not old brucey his performance in this event is better than his pipe masters performance but it's still not old brucey um i always feel like we talk about kelly slater way too much and i go into these shows thinking no more Kelly talk. No more John John talk. Let's focus on some nuance. But then Slater always does something so radical, oftentimes right before we go to mic, like go to record. And then I feel a need that I have to talk about him. Did you see yesterday, wearechange.org released a 15-minute interview with him? Yeah. Did you watch must it? must-see moment. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, then we can wait to get into that. Oh, yeah. I've got a whole segment on that. What about when he's rescued the mom and the baby at, uh, at Waimea? <laughs> or where were they? Haleiwa? I don't know where they were. It doesn't matter. They're on the North Shore. They where? get swept away. Should we wait to talk about till must-see moment? Or? No, let's okay. talk about Dude, it. Kelly Slater. I'm sure people already read this story or saw it, but like literally... This this surf photographer was in Hawaii vacationing with his wife and kid, uh, or maybe working, but they're from Australia. The wife and kid were going for a walk. She was jogging with the stroller, but she had her earphones in, so she couldn't really hear this giant wave that day that Kelly didn't make the paddle out at Waimea. The reason why he was on the beach was because he didn't make the paddle out, and so he was just watching it, but this giant wave came in swept across the road hit her and her baby knocked her off this bridge pushed her into this forest ravine area he a buddy and three lifeguards saw it happening dove in and rescued her and the baby kelly humbly explains look if i wasn't there the lifeguards were there they would have handled it it's not like i was this lone superhero act and he also said even if the lifeguards weren't there she the the tide would have went out and she probably would have been okay on her own but there was 20 seconds where nobody could see the white, the woman and her child, and it was really scary. By the way, your battery's low. I don't know if you need to plug it in or not. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, so anyway, it's like stories like that come out about Kelly, and it's like, dude, we got to talk about Kelly. The guy's a superhero, you know? Yeah, so Kelly, um, he is a superhero. You know, it's that whole video uh, – it's it's it's, inc- it's fascinating, right? For a number of reasons. Were you talking about the We Are Changed on yeah. one? Yeah. Okay. Where he discusses. Explain, explain it. Well, um, I don't know the guy's name, but a, a reporter or um, a producer for WeAreChanged.org hooked up with Kelly. Kelly's a fan of WeAreChanged.org. I think Kelly reads some of the stuff or watches some of the videos. And... Um, and they hooked up, and, and he did a 15-minute interview with Kelly on the beach at where Kelly stays, right there at Pipe. And it's just, you know, we would be doing a disservice to our listeners if we didn't just say, hey, just go watch it. You yeah. know, and you can see the video. It's probably on your site. I know it's on oh. my site, boardroomshow.com. It's up right now. And, and uh, 
it 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 reiterates why Kelly Slater is my favorite surfer, and it has <clears> nothing <throat> to do with Kelly's ability in the water anymore. It's, they hardly even talk about surfing. Yeah, and even if they did, that's not why he's my favorite surfer. He's my favorite surfer because he has this humility on land that is is it's just incredibly charming, right? I mean, the fact that he's so honest about himself and he's open-minded, he's willing to look at things from an entirely different perspective. I mean, he talks in that video about making amends to people when he's wrong and how that's where he finds the most growth in his life. Uh, he talks about challenging his own ego. Um, he basically says, I'm my harshest critic, and, and it's hard to do. But when I do it, that's where I've learned more about myself than I ever thought I would know. I mean, he just goes into um, he goes into some really fascinating areas regarding his own personal growth. And it's it, 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 it shows that he transcends surfing. He's, he's a great ambassador, uh, he's, and he's just a great human being. Seems like it. Totally. Yeah, it seems like. Look, and, we all have our faults. I'm not. No, and I'm not questioning. He's it. not perfect. Nobody yeah. is. But um, but in regard to, what, you don't see this kind of introspection. You don't see this kind of honesty. You don't see this kind of. You know, he's the first elevated person, thinking. Yeah, you just don't see it yeah. anywhere really in the sports world. I yeah. mean, he, he says stuff that's way beyond um, just your normal sound bites that your you know your handlers would have you say. Well, a couple of thoughts. The thing that you said about making amends and then him talking about being his harshest critic, he connects those two thoughts with, I've also, because I'm a harsh critic on myself, I'm a harsh critic on those around me, and it's to my own detriment of human relationships, basically. Like, I realize I've been too hard on people, and because that's the way I am on myself, but that's not the way other people want to be treated. And so then I find myself damaging things, and I feel the need to then go make amends. And when I make those amends, I realize growth and how I can you know, be more humble and that sort of thing. So, um, yes, I agree. But the great thing about it is that's none of that is what the interview was about. It all came up when Kelly's explaining his view on politics and saying, anytime I take too strong of a stance, I realize it's due to my own insecurity or things that I'm afraid of. I take a super strong, strong stand in the opposite direction. And then I realize later, oh, I should have been more gracious in my viewpoint and, and accommodating of other people's viewpoint or whatever, you know? So they're talking about Monsanto. They're talking about the 2011 presidential race in, in America. 2016. I'm sorry. Sorry. 2016 presidential race in America. Um, 9-11. 9-11 comes yeah. up. It's like these non-surfing, highly politically and emotionally charged topics yeah. that Kelly takes a stance on, yeah. which you also don't get professional no. athletes and personalities to do. No. So there's so many layers in this super simplistic... I mean, what comes across is like pretty simple 15-minute piece. They go really deep in. Yeah, and it's it's real easy um, sort of as a critic or a cynic to kind of go, oh, okay, Kelly's one of these conspiracy theorists or, you know, you know, to, to, to take your own opinion on what Kelly's saying. Mm -hmm. What's not easy is to have this same type of open mind that Kelly has mm -hmm. and go, you know what? Maybe I should look at this from a different perspective, you know? And I don't agree with everything Kelly Slater has. I'm sure he doesn't agree. I'm sure you don't agree with everything I have to say. I'm sure people around me do. But the point is, is that am I willing and open-minded enough and honest with myself enough to just look at it from a, a different perspective, to look at it from Kelly's perspective, to look at it from your perspective, David? Do I have that within myself? And that is where growth comes from, personally.
I completely agree. Kelly has a huge platform and microphone, but he's not promoting any of that stuff or pumping it down our throats. He has these very educated and, you know, strong views on things, but he's not really actively promoting it. He's waiting until somebody like this comes and asks him thoughtful questions and then he engages in the debate. And you he's, know, and he's intelligently. also saying, hey, you know what? Do your own research. Totally. Like, go look it up like I did. I've yeah. been reading about this stuff. You yeah. Know? I don't know if it's right or wrong, but this seems you – know, he, he, he also goes to a place where he says, I can generally tell that when people are talking from their heart and being honest that, you know, it makes sense to me. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm drawn to that rather yeah. than mainstream media, which might have – which does have an agenda of some sort. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. I really like that piece a lot. I did too. It was really good. Yeah. Surfsplendorpodcast.com is where you can find it. And then, of course, Boardroom Show. Boardroomshow.com. That video is on there now. I don't know if this portion of the show, by the way, brought to you by Boardroomshow.com. Is it really? Yeah. We've relaunched the website. I'll expect my uh, sponsor (laughs) check in the mail. Yeah. You will get some pesos. Boardroomshow.com. We've completely relaunched it. So go check it out. We've got videos. We've got content. We're trying to make it um, you know, a little different than your average you know, surf content website. But of course, you can get all the information on the boardroom show itself, which is coming up May 14th and 15th at the Delmar Fairgrounds, honoring Icon of Foam, tribute to the Master Shape Off happening, uh, honoring Jerry Lopez. Huge. Amongst other so things. So excited. Got a bunch of cool stuff going on. Um, <clears throat> I want to discuss something in the realm of uh, surf video because you know that's where my passion lies. Yes. Um, Maybe you don't want to engage in this conversation, but I don't let know. me just roll it out and just see go. what you think. Yeah. How, did you watch the Dill and Beach project? No. Okay. I'm busy. I've been watching <laughs> Almond Brothers on YouTube. And buying and nothing to watch. shirts you off just, eBay. And you just listen to it. You don't even watch it. It's just like the album cover and you listen. So so <laughs> Dylan Perillo and Brendan Gibbons spent a year filming this thing, multiple countries, doing Who? this. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Doing this really thoughtful, nuanced 10-minute edit. You know, a year of filming. I think Monster Energy Drink was sponsoring it. Is it all artsy-fartsy with out-of-focus flower fields? Yes. A little bit of that kyneville Uh thumbprint on it. I've never seen that before. Yeah, I know. So, But here's my thought on it is they spend a year doing this thing and put it out. All this money, investment, blah, blah, blah. The thing has 30,000 views. Oh, no, really? <laughs> right? I mean... That's too bad. It is too bad. And they surf... Is it worth more views? No. That's no. that's my question is like this surf video platform that is constantly evolving where you got John John Florence on one end spending $2 million to do View from a Blue Moon. Is he going to re- see a return on that investment? I don't think so. Well, and then, it depends what you mean by ROI. Well, okay. Yeah, okay. So is it a marketing it is. ploy only? For, for that, it is. Yeah. Well, then why are they selling it for $15 on iTunes? Just to make up a little bit of it. Okay. Yeah. So then you have other, like Craig Anderson's, you know, Welcome Elsewhere that he put out two or three weeks ago. It has a quarter of a million views, and it's completely for free. Like, that's a little bit better. Then you got Mikey Wright's thing that I had as my must-see moment yeah. last week. yeah which is only three minutes long. It took three weeks to film, and it has 85,000 views. I mean, that's almost three times as much as Dylan and Brendan's 10-minute version. Which of these has the most return on investment? For Mikey Wrights, which is a little investment, has a good return for Quicksilver, which is his main sponsor. Like, this, I I don't have a specific question other than 
This platform is constantly evolving. It's interesting. How much do you invest? What do you do? Do you just do a three-minute thing? Do you do a 10-minute thing? You know, like, I don't know. It's just interesting to watch and and see. And, like, Brendan and Dylan's thing I liked, but I kind of wish I had that 10 minutes back. They're good (laughs) surfers, but I'd rather just keep tabs on their Instagram posts every day rather than investing a full – and over the course of a year, that will be 10 minutes because it's 15 seconds at a time. Well, John John's thing, right? You get the feeling they're like, hey, look, let's just test the waters. Let's put it out there for 15 bucks and see what happens. I mean, he's John John. If anyone's going to buy anything, it's going to be this, mm-hmm. right? And it's probably doing okay. I don't know if they're making back a little bit of their money or not, right? The Dylan thing's for free, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I mean, I just feel like you, you better be John John if you expect a lot of views. Or, but you bring up Mikey Wright. Mikey Wright just that thing blew up on its own. It went viral because it was just so radical. Exactly. And um, I think that sort of fly in the champagne, artsy, groovy, kind of that whole thing. Once it's done, it's been done. And yeah, it'll come back in 15 years and be groovy again. But you almost have to kind of keep reinventing the wheel and be ahead of the curve a little bit on this stuff to get you your attention. Right. You know, otherwise it's like, oh yeah, I've seen it. I want my ten minutes back. Yep. Just give me a two minute clip of the good stuff from that ten minutes. Right. You know. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because look, these are people pour their hearts into these things. These are artistic endeavors, creative endeavors. These guys work their ass off to make this thing, and I'm sure it's really cool. I'm sure it's you know worthy ten minutes. But we're inundated with stuff. Exactly. I frankly found the Kelly Slater thing the most fascinating surf piece i've seen in a long time times 10 dude. it was incredible yeah it was 10 times more fascinating than the dylan beach project yeah you know? i mean and, and by the way i can watch pipeline right now vulcan pipe pros going off its face i can watch eight hours of it for free and or not watch it exactly so yeah yeah it's interesting show us something that we don't want you know that surf, we don't want i mean that we don't that we haven't seen right is what i mean yeah exactly it's just you know like i said i want to hear about like you and I could riff some topics right now. Like what what would you want to hear about? Well, I want to hear about um, the guy who stopped surfing. Like I want to know the day Herbie Fletcher decides to stop surfing. Mm-hmm. I want to know why. I want to know what went through his mind. I want to know does he miss it. I want to know maybe that day isn't going to come. Maybe he's going to surf till he dies. Yeah. You know, like um, maybe he's going to be like um, – Flippy Hoffman, you know, that yeah. just gets wheeled down to the beach in his wheelchair and just has to have a connection with the ocean. And and what will your what will it look like for you, David, on the last day of your life when you surf? Or what will it look like for the listener that have they thought about, you know what, when I'm fifty I'm gonna give it up. When I'm forty, when I get married and thirty and I have kids, I'm gonna have to give it up. Like when like that's semi interesting. So there's a lot of the interesting topics that could be thrown out there, spitballed on a whiteboard. And maybe developed and excavated and created into something of interest, you know? Yeah. Who, I mean, the interesting thing about surfing is people, it's rare for people to give it up completely. There are those examples, but I have a Mike feeling Hinson. a lot more people have given up skiing. Mike Hinson gave up surfing at a certain age. He just stopped surfing, right? Yeah. Does David Nueva surf anymore? I don't know. I see him at the beach all the time, Does, but I don't see him um, surfing. Well, Carl Ekstrom's a great example. Yeah. I think Carl Ekstrom stopped when he was like 40. I know. You know, like, how do you just stop? Like, it's kind of fascinating to me. Like, I don't think it's that easy, you know? Yeah, I really don't know. Crazy. All right, what else? Well, that's just one topic, right? So, if you're a potential new film producer or video producer. Yeah, if you're a storyteller. What's the story you're going to tell? And please don't let it be, you know, 
surfing's my everything, my life, and it's my spiritual connection, and I love it, and I'm going to do it forever because that will make us vomit. Yeah, and that Dylan Beach project and even the Craig Anderson one, it's like, like you said, the style of editing, we've seen like super high resolution, red cam action footage cut away to super eight footage of flowers and wheat blowing in the field and then some indigenous kid you know running to chase a ball and it's then also like, cliche it's, it's so just, cliche it's, it's like done, i want to throw up and it's like i didn't even think it was cool when it first was happening but i've seen it so many times anyway what about a story on um the the criminal records of professional surfers I like it. That's that's gutsy. I that's mean, that's fantastic. gonna you're gonna make a lot of enemies, but you and I would be interested in seeing it. Totally, Matt you know? Warshaw, next writing assignment. I mean, you know, like look, Marvin Foster went to jail. Like a lot of guys have gone to jail, man. Oh, dude, a ton. What if, what if we just excavated why? Like, what's the common root here? Did they not have fathers? Like, what's like where were yeah. their family structure? Like, what what was the socioeconomic status of of the region they grew up in? Like, all of these things have some that that's interesting you yeah. know like now okay i'm i'm, I'm into it you know yeah. like who else has been busted for like everyone there's so many guys I, been busted for i'm apprehensive chris to ward. Even name chris ward been put into yeah like the the criminal system justice system somewhere i mean there's totally. guys that you know yeah and, and i'm not saying they're not good guys and everyone deserves a second chance i'm just saying hey look that would be something that may interest us as viewers like the criminal history of pro surfers dude uh, so last week I released an interview with the guy who made uh, the Anthony Rufo film. Learning oh yeah, to there's another great example. Did you watch that film? Uh, I got I didn't watch it, but I I went on Beach Crit and I read some of the commentary on it. Okay. And I, I haven't seen it. It looks like a pretty good movie. I watched it. It it is good. It's very interesting. It's super raw. Like I mean, Rufo's on there pouring his heart out, like talking about. And the guy who made it, his name's Rocky Romano. Yeah. And so I did an interview with Rocky Romano. I and, saw it. You were on Beach Grit, weren't you? Yeah. So then I transcribed it because I talked to Derek about it in advance. Yeah. And he's like, they had run their- Rory Parker. Rory thing. Parker did like a film review of it. And right. it got Rory a lot got of, really opinionated and totally. it caught a lot of flack. So he caught a lot of flack in the comments section. Right. So then I reached out to Derek and I'm like, hey, I interviewed Rocky and I'll send you a transcript of it if you just want to run that on your site. And he's like, yeah, totally. So then I did that. And then they've got 200 comments on the- on the transcribed interview that I did. And Maurice, Maurice Cole was a big commenter on there, taking yeah. a pretty, pretty, you know, opinionated stance. And a lot of people were anti Maurice's stance. So a lot of it became back and forth, uh, uh, just things that were taking place in the comment section that didn't have anything to do with my piece at all. But 200 comments as opposed to their average 20 comments, you know, like it stirred, a pretty heated debate, which I think is great. And I was interested to just see where that debate goes because it was a topic of conversation that we don't see very often in surfing. It's something that people avoid. Like to your point of what you're saying is these are the stories that need to be discussed and need to be extracted because we, we steer away from it. And it brought, you know, it brought out themes that, that are dealt with in everyday life, whether you live in drug Hawaii use. or Michigan, yeah. you know? Yeah. And drug use specifically. Drug it's use. a theme in everyday life yeah. and really prominent. It touches everybody. It touches and it's, everybody. It's an accurate stereotype of surf culture. This is a problem in the surf community. Yeah. Let's discuss it. Yeah. You know, and that's what that film and does. And you got guys protecting guys and guys protecting their legacy and guys yeah. protecting the surf culture and, 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 and all sorts of stuff. So it does stir up a lot of uh, 
a lot of angst, a lot of emotion, and it's, that's a great topic. I, I I wanted to see it. I was sent the little code to watch it, and I just, you know, I got buried with life. Well, interestingly... Which is code for The Waves Were Really Good, I think. <laughs> <laughs> interestingly, that film came out a couple years ago. Right. I, I feel like... It didn't come out. It, apparently, I know, it, it felt did. it felt like it was fresh. It, you know? Well, no, I mean when it hit, it had like all this hype before it hit, and then I feel like it came out but disappeared. Nobody commented on it. Yeah, and then two years later, it gets published for free for seventy two hours. That's been this new life that it found. But what I heard was that Rufo and a lot of the Santa Cruz community didn't stand behind the film like the final edit of it they didn't really sign off on. But Rocky was like, "Hey, look, you guys did sign the consent forms." I don't care what you feel about it now. Like, this is an accurate telling of it. I'm not painting as ugly of a picture as I could have. Like, this is just the telling of it. If you're not happy with it, it's you're not happy with the decisions that you've made, basically, is what his stance was. And um, I reached out to Rufo to get his side of it, but he never commented back. Um, and that door's still open. Like, I'd love to hear kind of his opinion and the general opinion of the Santa Cruz community about it. Yeah. Um, but even as you said, look, let's tell these stories of guys who have gone to jail and criminal records. Uh, I, I'm a little nervous. Like, no. I don't know that I really want to. I don't. There's, there's, it's speaking a can of, of Speaking of ROI, there's no return on investment for you, the filmmaker, if you do that. At, unless you're What about working- the podcast maker? Like, we, we have no return on the investment anyways. Right. Like, the only obligation we have is to our listenership, and they will send emails saying, you guys need to tell those stories. Who else is going to tell them? Well, Vice News is going to tell them. You know, guys that get paid to tell them are going to tell them. You know, like. But they, the thing is, you don't get paid to tell those stories. Exactly. That's when the sponsors pull their money. You and I, why, why wouldn't we tell them? Um, because, quite frankly, I'm sort of in that space. You know, like I, I'm, I deal in the surf industry. So right. do you, believe it or not. Yeah. You know, I know that you have a paycheck that comes from a company in the surf industry. I have a lot of paychecks that come from companies in the surf industry. And it gets to a weird place where it's like, why am I biting the hand that feeds me? What's the upside again? Oh, right. I lose money? Right. To you know, So maybe it's not my place. You know, It's the place of somebody that's completely devoid and, and free and liberated of any connections. Lewis Samuels. I'm, I don't – I think he's connected. I think No, he, I think – Last I heard, he was working for Twitter or something. I I don't know, but I don't know either, actually. But whoever the young, it's going to be a young idealistic filmmaker that that for whatever reason wants to make a name for himself and, and yeah. create something great, which would be a move up the ladder for him, so that he could become a producer on a much bigger level and leave the surf space behind. Yeah. But if you're going to dwell and work in this space and not not leave this space. It's it's you're sort of a catch twenty two. It's like Warshaw said, you know, like surf journalism is at its best when it's not um, surf advocacy. Moonlighting is surf advocacy when it's really telling the hard, honest truth. You know. Yeah. Well, I'll make a a promise to our listeners that if they want to help me become independently wealthy, I will then tell these stories. Yeah. PayPal your money. Yeah. To my account. Right. And then I will go independent and rogue and dig deep. That is my promise to our listeners. All right. <laughs> it might take uh, significant investment on their part, but hey, you well, will, get, you will there, get raw entertainment. I think there are stories that, that the surf video producer can tell that um, that are still fascinating, that still touch on 
subjects that are universal that aren't necessarily like how high in the air did you get on that last wave. Yeah. Uh, that can be told and told, you know, in a good way. Yeah. In the proper way. Well, what else do you got? Any other topics of conversation? No. Um, I've got must-see Dukes and Coots. Oh, I do have one other one. Um, the Inland Surf Park put out a release. They're on track for their spring 2016 opening. So um, this is the latest update from Doug Kors, who's the engineer and surfer behind the San Antonio – or no, Austin, Texas, right? Doug Kors is bringing the ocean to Austin, Texas, says the press release. Um, Inland Surf Park will be the only inland surf destination in North America. David, you and I spoke about this last time, I think. Um, but they put out this release that they're on track. They put they sent pictures of you know, them laying the concrete, um, digging the trenches. It's, it's going to be a massive nine football field uh, area footprint with the wave garden technology. So this this pulling wave technology, you know, small waves, medium waves, large waves, four or five different pools for different levels, all in Austin, Texas, brought to you by Doug Coors, who, of course, was from the Coors Brewing family. Yep. So all that's on track for a spring opening, which is just two or three months away. So that's going to be pretty fascinating. It'll be interesting to see how it all plays out as a business model. Yeah. Call yeah. me when it's six feet and perfect. There you go. <laughs> One of your best lines, man. That's really not my line. I think it came from Chris Morrow or somebody. Oh, really? Amazing. Yeah. Oh. Well, my must-see moment, I'm sure everybody's already seen, is Tom Doslin's Wipeout oh, at yeah. Piahi. So good. So good. Can't believe he lived. Nobody can believe he lived. I mean, Billy Kemper was like, dude, 99.9% of people would have died in that scenario. If not from a heart attack in mid-fall, definitely from the impact and getting sucked over the falls. Um, Tom Doslin stood up at the top of a massive wave at Piahi and then just got hung up and pitched and jumped and did this free fall, I mean, starfish, upside down, almost all the way down the face before he actually hit the water. It was incredible, absolutely remarkable. And then his leash, I mean, that thing got stretched 30 feet? I don't know. His leash got stretched so far in the photo. His board gets caught in the wind and ends up above the lip of the wave when he's almost at the bottom of the wave. It's insane. So really remarkable stuff. Musty moment. Yeah. My Duke is going out to Brock Little. Yeah. Who you mentioned. Um, yeah. Found out about a month. He found out one month ago that he actually has cancer. Yeah. And he let everybody know through Instagram just a few days ago where he posted a photo of himself standing on the balcony uh, in this like twilight sunset lighting, flexing his muscles, but he is gaunt. I mean, he's known as being super fit, waterman, um, indestructible. And this photo of him is really, really scary. Like he's lost a ton of weight and... um, he looks older. He looks older. He doesn't look good. He's bald. He's been doing chemo for three weeks, and I heard it through, shows. I heard through the grapevine that, that he found out, and it was all throughout his body. Like, it's oh, pretty yeah. bad, you know? like He said it's in his bones. It's in his liver. He doesn't even know what type of cancer it is, but it's everywhere. And I had heard that he was just going to, like, ride out the deal and not go through the chemo, and I think some friends rallied around him and said, hey, look. And so he's opted now for the chemo, and he's going for it. So, I mean, everybody, you know, Brock was, I surfed with Brock one time out at Lani Akea, and I was just a kook from California. This was like 1988. 
And it was pumping huge. Early season, October, Lania Kaev, maybe 10 to 12 feet, 15-foot sets, really big. And um, and it was crowded, and he was a full-on standout. And everybody kind of like, as crowded as it was, when he paddled through the pack, everyone made way for him. And he went out to the main peak out there. I remember, um, who's the guy from Santa Cruz, too, that was out there dominating? Um, not Richie, the regular not Richie Schmidt, but... Um, the other cowboy charger guy. I'm losing my mind. I can't Vince remember. Collier? Yeah, Vince Collier. Okay. So Vince Collier was out there charging, and him, he and Brock were standouts that day as I watched those guys just dominate. But, yeah, Brock, it's sad. You know, uh, you know, he's, he's not gone yet, so no, but you know, I, everyone's pulling for him. And at this point, I mean, we've all been affected by cancer. All of our families, I'm sure you have. I've had multiple family members die. Um, so it hits close to home, and seeing that image, it's just so impactful. Yeah. Um, but Brock or the aforementioned Derek Riley at Stab, I'm not at Stab, I'm sorry, at Beach Grit called Brock and he recorded the interview and they had a phone conversation. And so he posted that on Beach Grit. I will embed it on Surf Splendor podcast. It's about a seven minute interview that he has with Brock and Brock is super candid and he's like, it's effed up. It doesn't look good. Like, but I'm grateful for the life that I've had, you know, and, um, I found it well worth the seven minutes to listen to it. And Derek asks some questions like, hey, are you starting to have existential thoughts about dying? And Brock answers those. So I, I would really encourage people to check that out. That's listen the to kind that. of stuff we're talking about. Yeah, like, yeah, totally. There's tons of surf porn out there, but it, there's deeper stuff that, um, that gets our attention. Yeah, and then Warshaw engaged in a conversation with Derek as well on Beach Grit. And one of the things that I thought was interesting, or that kind of hit me, I don't know, the hardest was, talked about Brock being so handsome and rugged and like ladies' man kind of. But in all of his conversations with Brock, it would always come up about Brock being heartbroken, of like Brock wanted to get married and have kids, and it never really worked out. And it's like he had some great love affairs, one of which was with Kate Bosworth during the filming of Blue Crush, where they came over to film. Kate was 19 years old, nubile 19-year-old. And the filmmakers are like, who is the most responsible among these local boys that can show her around the island and the water and everything? And they're like, Brock is the most responsible, reliable dude. Let's hook her up with Brock. And Brock said, hey, it was platonic for a couple of weeks, but... You know, things. One thing led to another. So we had this love affair with Kate Bosworth, and Matt. Matt revealed that detail, and um, but in the end, Brock would always be like, "Hey, man, my girlfriend ended up leaving me, and she's dating this lifeguard now, and I'm so heartbroken about it." And so that always stuck with Matt, where it's like, you know, that that's some. He's not. He's not a ladies' man just trying to make all these conquests, like. He wants to make it work, and I don't know. Something about that story stuck with me or, or made me, I don't know, pull on my heartstrings for Brock a little bit. So Duke of, the, Duke of the Week, Brock Little, shout out. Fight the good fight. My kook of the week is the Brazilian WQS events who still owe competitors money from last year. Wow. Yeah, have you seen this story? No, where'd you get that? This That's was published one. on Stab. Um, they did an interview <laughs> with Barrick DeVries and Perth Standlick and some of these QS warriors yeah. who are still owed, literally Barrick DeVries is owed $4,600 from an event last year that he still hasn't been paid for. 
Um, the WSL has gotten involved, but there's only so much they can do. By their in their own rule book, the contest organizers have seven days to pay these contestants, and these contestants are owed money from I don't know over a year ago, but definitely last year's events. So these guys are guys who are living off credit cards, and then they make heats, and eventually, hopefully, can pay down. There is is the WSL responsible? No, no. QS events in Brazil. They're the overseeing organization, but in the rule book, they are not held responsible. Uh-huh. But they do have people on staff who help chase down the money. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, the sponsors of the events and the organizers are the ones who are supposed to be paying these. And uh, right, but it's a WSL event. Or no? It's a WSL event, but in the rule book, they're not left holding the purse strings in the end. Hmm. So doesn't sound like a WSL event to me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But uh, that's weird. But those are the kooks, is the organizers of those events in Brazil. Sure, the WSL, and the sponsors. They must not like that too have, much. No, and I'm sure that'll dictate who's going to sponsor the event next year. You know what I mean? But, like, And even some policy changes where it's of like, course. I'm going to need a escrow account with the monies in the yeah. account. Yeah, exactly. So uh, My I'll, kook link, of the week. I'll link to that event on stabmag.com, by the way, on surfsplendorpodcast.com. My kook of the week is the Army Corps of Engineers, where in New Jersey, they've installed a metal pipe under the sand. This was done a while ago. And that metal pipe under the sand, under the waves, has these large coupling rings, each ring with what amounts to a sharp, penetrating steel stabbing device attached to the pipe every five or six feet. And the latest run of great surf, by the way, which we hadn't even touched on, but the East Coast has been pumping like mental barrels. Winter Storm Jonas has exposed this pipe. So now there's this massive pipe with these massively sharp steel stabbing devices every six feet sticking out of the pipe. Some little kid or a surfer is going to get punctured. And uh, you couldn't have crafted a more medieval-looking weapon. And so the Army Corps of Engineers is my kook of the week. Of course, I'm not even sure if they're responsible for it, but <laughs> what, I'm blaming them, and that comes to us from a loyal listener, Bill Rosenblatt. So is, there, Bill. is there a reason why it was designed that way? Is it supposed to stab something? The government? Okay. Because <laughs> it's, it's a government to- project? Because some bureaucrat could care less, and who knows? You it know? was meant I, to I keep skateboarders from like rail sliding it. No, it's, then, it's, it's in the ocean. Well, I know, but then they use that pipe for the ocean? I don't, I don't know. know. All I know is it's a... It's a stabbing device ready to stab. I don't like it. No. Yeah. All right. Well. Yeah. Great show, Scott. Yeah, great show. Thanks for bringing your A-game, dude. Oh, I always bring my A-game. Oh, do you? When else do I have like a drum solo? Going out on the drum solo. That's 70s right there. (laughs) That's so 70s. Drum solo so we can go backstage and drink some beers. All right. Well. Uh, thanks for listening, of course, and engage in this conversation with Scott and I. That's what we always say. Leave comments, social media, at Surf Splendor and at boor- The Boardroom. or Boardroomshow.com. Go check it out. That's where you can get this podcast. I've, I'm all SoundCloud. I've got SoundCloud. I've got a, you haven't seen my new site, have you? You haven't even gone there. I have, actually. Right. Okay, so Boardroomshow.com, SurfSplendorPodcast.com. That's where you can get this show. Until next time, adios and aloha. Dear darling, it's been a long, long, lonely winter. Dear darling, it seems like years since it's been here. Here comes the sun.
Richie Haven to sing us out. The full track list of every episode of Surf Splendor is available on surfsplendorpodcast.com. You can also leave a comment on the website about today's show or any past episode. Like I mentioned um, to Scott, I did that Rocky Romano interview, the filmmaker who made Learning to Breathe, the Anthony Rufo profile piece. That was last week. So go back, check out that episode from last week. It's gotten a lot of uh, plays, a lot of interest, a lot of comments, obviously. So check that out. Share that with friends. Share this show with friends. And look forward to a brand new episode next week. We update every week, and uh, we do these news episodes every other week. And then the alternating week is a profile piece, like that one with Rocky. So check all of that out. It's all available for free on surfsplendorpodcast.com, along with everything else that I just mentioned. Thank you for doing that. And follow us on social media at Surf Splendor. That is all that we ask. And we will keep producing the content for you. All right? Deal, deal. David Scales here, signing off, saying, until next week, I encourage you, catch a couple waves, get out in the ocean, and shred on. Here comes the sun, here comes the sun, I say it's alright.